Today's podcast is brought to you by Unicorn.com, the premier esports betting site. Log on today to bet on your favorite games like League of Legends, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, basically any esport you can come up with for the chance to win awesome prizes like the Logitech G633 headset that I'm using right now. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. I am the Editor-in-Chief and Analyst for Imperial Esports, and welcome to another very special edition of the Rough Drafts Podcast, where the only thing rougher than our pick-and-band phase is the Unicorns of Love's pick-and-band phase. It has been an incredible week of quarterfinal action in Europe. We had two series that... (laughs) One surprised us. One maybe proved a lot of things we said in the preseason that people got mad at us about. And of course, when I say us, I am referring to myself and my co-host, uh, writer for Slingshot Esports, Walter Ciedi Spetchuk. Walter, how are you doing, man? Do, do we really need to beat a dead unicorn? But yeah. I mean, I think we might have to. We're going to get there. You know, actually, let's start there. I want to start with this Origin versus Unicorns of Love series. Because I have a lot of questions. And they're the same questions that we were asking in the preseason. But, you know, things went so well for this team. They went 10-8. and eight. They looked like a strong playoff team for the majority of the season. They ended up making the switch with the last couple of weeks to Lulex in the jungle, which we had some questions about, but it seemed like they were adjusting well and that Fox and Steelback had continued to grow as players. So, Walter, I ask you, what happened here in this series? Oh, Chachi finally fell off the cliff. He reverted to old Chachi. He reverted to last year, Chachi, and he was unable to hold up to the the greatest player, the best player on the planet, egotistical Soaz. Mm. Super confident Soaz. Uh, I mean, Soaz didn't even play that great. Soaz was like, was like mediocre. He just was put ahead by Amazing. I thought Amazing played very well, had a lot of impact on the game early on. And Lolex and Vizichachi just weren't able to stand up to the powerful duo that is the Amazing Soaz. I think there are a lot of things you can point to, but Vizichachi devolving was the first one that came to mind. It literally, I, I hate the word choke when it comes to esports because the game is so mentally charged. It's a battle of wits, basically, no matter what's going on. That to say that someone choked is essentially just to say that they had a bad game. There's a range of how well a player should be able to play and how good their opponent is. We, we can expect some things. There are very few legitimate chokes in esports. This was a choke. Vizichachi choked this series. And you could tell because he died within the first three minutes of the game twice. Uh, including and almost top- a third time. And almost a third time. I have no idea where his headset was. The guy had a combined 19 deaths in three games. That's incredible. Even before you take into account that he only had four kills during that same period of time. It was useless. And in this meta, where the top lane is so valuable, you can't get away with that. But 
I also want to talk outside of just Visit Chachi falling off, because that's something where clearly the guy just had a terrible series. There's not much to analyze other than he was out of position all the time when it comes to his particular play. But from the unicorns and love in general, I think there was more to it than just Visit Chachi making things harder for themselves. What are the other things that, as we kind of saw unravel before our eyes, we can point to as distinct things that the Unicorns of Love need to improve upon for next split? They need to solve the junk position. Lolex is not the answer for this team. They really performed well when they had a very aggressive early game jungler that was making an impact on the actual lane. Not just invading, not just counter-jungling, not just being a ward by which Lolexes want to do. They don't really need another utility guide on the team. They need another carry. They need someone to carry them through the early game. I think they showed a lot of improvement over the entire course of the season. Steelback is one of the best AD carries in Europe now, especially with the sort of downswing that, that AD carries like Harnan and Reckless took during the regular season. He's definitely got himself up there. And even though I you know, made fun of him for not being able to hack into the NA Challenger series, he really stepped up. And in this series was the only reason that Unicorns was even close for the majority of it. When it comes down to it, the pick ban phase was pretty awful too. They put Chachi in some really awful situations. I don't understand the multiple gangplank picks into Poppy. Mm. I guess you're trying to just outscale her and trying to create sort of some poke and some AOE into chokes. But beyond that, they didn't really understand the patch. In my opinion, they they gave up Poppy and Trundle twice uh, in the last two games. They gave up Poppy as a first pick, and then responded with Lucian and Lee Sin, and then all of a sudden you have Poppy, Gragas, and Trundle on one team. Like, you might as well forfeit right there. You're never going to break through that tank line. Ever. Like, there's mm. nothing you can do into that tank line. And then in game three, the, the deciding game, they first pick an Alistar, which gives up Trundle and Poppy again. It just... Some of the pick ban decisions make no sense, and this is the sort of thing that when we said at the in the preseason that Sheepy is outclassed, this is what I'm pointing to. This is a, just an obvious misunderstanding of what the patch is and, and the strategy that it takes to win. Well, I'm going to help you understand why Sheepy made the decision he did, especially in Game 3, because I also was curious what was going on. And this is going to be one of those things where I have very few opportunities to say I told you so to the internet. But this entire split, I have been much less favorable to Hillisang than you have or than most fans have been. I did a deep dive. In the 18 games that were played, he played Thresh seven times, was 6-1 and one on that champion. Alistar he played seven times, 3-4 and four on that champion. He only had two Braum games, one Jana game, one Trundle game, was a combined one and three on those champions. So as soon as Origin banned out Thresh in every single one of these games, Hillisang was immediately forced on the picks where he was not comfortable at all. And you saw in just the inability to engage the way that they wanted, the Braum did absolutely nothing in game one. In game two, his jana, he died eight times, just clearly not used to being able to protect himself and not have the 
disengage outside of the one ultimate when someone gets on him. And then they had to first pick Alistar in game three because they were so afraid of what would happen if he wasn't on a comfort champ. And when you have players like that that limit your ability to pick the compositions that you want, that's a huge concern. And then you add Vizichachi choking in the top lane and not really understanding how to best manipulate the side waves with his ultimate. You put Lulex in every single one of these games on aggressive junglers. It was Nidalee and Lee Sin for him, which are just not Lulex champions as a general rule. You know, he, he doesn't like to play to the early game. It's the only time where I see a Nidalee have a 30 CS advantage and not gank anybody, which is almost impressive if it wasn't so painful to watch. None of this worked. Now, from top to bottom, it was a failing for unicorns. And it just leaves me wondering the same thing I wondered at the beginning of the split. Are Vizichachi, Hillisang, and Sheepy up to the task of being a top-tier team? Because Fox and Steelback played their heart out. I think you're absolutely right to notice that they have taken steps forward and have grown as a team. And let's face it, Game 2 is a disaster area for Unicorns of Love if Steelback doesn't go ham on Lucian with a 10-2-4 game that was a very heroic effort in an otherwise dismal game from the Unicorns. But you're not going to win just because of two players. You've got to be able to offer more than that. And that's where I'm very interested in seeing what the Unicorns of Love do going forward with that regard. But we should talk about the other side of this, which is an origin team that went 3-0. This was a team that we had worries about with their consistency. We had worries about how they were going to handle these kind of patch changes because on 6.6, a lot of the split pushers so as had relied upon had been nerfed. So Walter, at the end of the day, how are you left feeling about this origin team? They played very well. They played a very origin style of the utility mid laners, allowing Zven to carry and, and having a very good duo. And so as an amazing, that's what it came down to was Zven having a week off must have helped. He, as we said towards the end of the year, it seemed like he was tired. It seemed like he was tired of carrying. It seemed like he was overexerted. You know, you talk about in the NBA where you get a guy like Kobe Bryant who plays 35 minutes a night on average, you know, in his heyday. And at some point in the season, he gets tired. And it's, you have to realize he's not going to put up 40 points a night. And you're going to have to get other players to step up. So he got his week off for the bye week in between while they did the promotional series, he got to rest a little, you know, they probably were practicing very hard, but he comes out and he puts up a fantastic series in which he dies seven times over three games and averages over seven kills a game and fantastic assist numbers. And then the big key though, is so as an amazing turned it on. So as an amazing shook off the rust, shook off whatever sleepwalking regular season they had, and they had three fantastic games, uh, amazing in particular. He was impactful. He was all over the map. He was making sure that he was making plays from minute one. And against someone like Lolex, that's very easy to do. You just have to give up the farm. P- he picked champions that he could give up some farm and some experience, especially in games two and three. Game one, not so much with the Kindred. 
but the Gragas and the Lee Sin, where you can give up some of that farm. You can be behind and farm, and as long as you hit level 6, you are useful. The second you hit level 6 on Gragas and Lee Sin, you are useful. You have your engage slash disengage tools, however you want to use it, and they played very, very well against the ultimates that amazing and, and so as we're able to use in terms of the poppy hammer, in terms of the Lee Sin kick, the Gragas cask, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was a very well executed game. I thought game plan wise, it was very straightforward, very simple. My one concern for Origin is that Power of Evil played great on Oriana and Barris, not so great on the LeBlanc. Mm-hmm. And to me, that shows that Power of Evil has to play these long range utility style champions and he's not at all good on the assassins and you should not put him on an assassin period which surprise surprise he wasn't great on assassins last year either so i don't understand the sort of pivot onto having him play leblanc when he played so well on on the Boris and the oriana yeah i certainly have some questions about that as well i will say if ever you were going to make a case that sandbagging was a legitimate term to be used in league of legends analysis this series would be a good reason to believe in it because it's one of the few things you can come up with as a reason as to how Origin went from being a almost dysfunctional team, for lack of a better phrase, in terms of how up and down they were and this inability to come up with a second style to win. We once described going into IEM Katowice, Origin is a team that basically would ask, can you deal with a split push? If yes, well played, you win. If no... We've got this. And they showed a lot more than that here. Soaz did a very good job of hanging in there when he had the poppy pick. Now, my concern with this team, and I think it's something that has to be taken into account, is that because of the poor drafts from Unicorns of Love, I wonder how challenged this team was. Soaz's top lane Gragas was not particularly strong. Amazing's Kindred was not particularly strong. If it hadn't been for Sven and Vizichachi really throwing game one, I don't think that game goes as smoothly for Origin. Even with a massive lead in game two, that game took 42 minutes to close because Origin kept making mistakes and they kept getting caught out at inopportune times. I mean, Mithy died seven times as a trundle. That shouldn't happen. These are positioning errors that really came back to haunt them. and. It does seem like as much as they made some steps forward, they also have some flaws that are still clearly on display. These were not clean victories, I think it's safe to say. So my question to you, Walter, is what do they need to do heading into the semifinal series to clean up some of the mistakes that plagued them here? I'm not so offended by by Mithy dying seven times. They were really using him to be the strong engage champion, and Steelbeck was very effective in soloing him out because he was constantly on the front line. They were using Soaz and, and Amazing Boar's flanking, and Mithy was the one charging head-on right into the Unicorns of Love composition. So I give him sort of a pass on that when he died three times in the other two games. It's just kind of what the play style of that game was. The thing for me is they need to clearly identify what Power of Evil is for this team. And basically, at this point, they've proven he can just be expecting. He doesn't have to play Assassins. He does not have to play LeBlanc. He does not have to play Zed. He can just play Varus and Oriana and Azir and, and even, 
I guess, like Victor, those kinds of style of champions. Zeroth. I'd love to see them just like pull out a random Zeroth out of nowhere. They don't need him to be a hyper carry. This is not last year's Unicorns of Love where they needed Power of Evil to carry or else they lost the game. This is a team that has Zven who can hard carry a game by himself. And with Soaz and Amazing playing the way they did, they can provide that sort of secondary carry and give that sort of protection to Power of Evil that he needs to play all these long-range poke champions. I don't want to see him on an Assassin. I don't want to see LeBlanc. I don't want to see Lissandra. I don't want to see Zed, Talon, whatever. Maybe a Kassadin. Kassadin might be the one, like, assassin champion I'd be okay with. We don't need to see any of that. He can play the Varus, he can play the Xerath, he can play Orianna, he can play Azir, and that fits into what your team is trying to accomplish. The second I see them play Simon LeBlanc or another assassin, that's when I have to be given pause, because I just don't think he's that kind of player. I understand where you're coming from there. I do think that utilizing Power of Evil effectively and playing to his skill set is a crucial part of what's going to make that team work in the long run. It's something that you could tell, especially early on in the season, that Amazing and Soaz needed some time to adjust to how resources were going to be diverted for this team. And at the end of the day, what this series showed me is that it's a lot smoother for them when Power of Evil is adjusting to what they need rather than vice versa. And so that's something I hope to see going forward. For me, though, I want to watch the top lane for Origin. If Soaz has been such a polarizing figure to watch the split. And to be honest, given how powerful Poppy is on 6.6, two good Poppy games and a subpar Gragas game are not enough to convince me that Soaz has figured it out. Especially when the Quinn has been nerfed, the Fiora has been nerfed. I want to see what else he brings. I want to see how he tries to deal with the massive threat that is Oduamne. And how they're going to be able to hold up in those kinds of situations. Which does bring us to their opponent in this semifinal series, H2K Gaming. This is a team that finished second in the regular season. They had some concerns, obviously, whether Forgiven was going to be able to make it the whole way, and they were able to figure that out. And there's a lot of star power on this team. There's a lot of potential to make some plays, and yet at the same time, in the last week of play, They were dropping games to teams like Unicorns of Love. They had some inconsistency during the middle of the split. Walter, what are your thoughts on H2K Gaming heading into the semifinals? I think much like Zven, they were kind of victim to a long season where they they were constantly trying to play at their best. I think they got a little tired out. I think they got a little worn out. I mentioned this before on the podcast. It seems at some points that if you look back on Forgiven's career, he peaks really, really early in the season and then kind of plateaus. And sometimes his end season is is interrupted by behavioral issues and, and bans from Riot. Uh, other times his team isn't very good around him and falls off. And I, I just think sort of think that was what the end of the season was, was that they were kind of just a little tired. And when they get into the playoffs, they'll be a slightly different team. I think they provide a great counter matchup to Origin and what they accomplish. Ryu is great on the Assassins. He's great on Zed. He's great on LeBlanc. He's great on Lissandra. He's great on getting into your face and short of playing against you in the lane and not focusing on what else is going around him, making the lane very 1v1, which I think is a great counter to what Power of Evil is good at. Mm -hmm. I think he's really going to get into his face. I personally am all a tizzy. My heart is all a flutter with getting to watch a Forgiven versus Zven series. 
getting to watch them with something actually on the line. Not just, a, you know, the regular season is fairly meaningless for, for all intents and purposes. If you get sixth place, great. That's what you're shooting for. You're shooting for top six. You're not shooting to be the best team in the, the regular season. I, sure, you get an advantage of a bye, maybe some easier opponents. Who cares? Getting to the playoffs is enough. Mm-hmm. Once you get into the playoffs, then it's a best of five series. And then boom, now you're in the semifinals. Then it's a best of five series and bang, you're in the finals. Every game actually matters here where the regular season, it's, you know, over the course of the entire playoffs, you could play up to 15 games. You could play almost the entire regular season in just this playoff format if you play in every round to its completion. So I really can't wait to see this matchup of Forgiven and Vander versus Ven and and Mithy. This is going to be awesome to watch. I really hope the two of them have like some sort of gentleman's agreement backstage. Like, you know what, guys? We're not going to lane swap. Let's just play straight up standard lanes, 1v1 top, 1v1 mid, 2v2 bottom, and Yankos and uh, Amazing, go have a tea party at Rift Herald. Like, let's just let laning phase decide all this. I, I really can't wait to watch these two teams play against each other, because I think they, they fit against each other so well. I think an origin that's playing to their peak does present a very interesting challenge, because it's, it's so as his desire to make proactive plays all the time versus Oduamne's more patient approach to wave management and, and looking for those little opportunities. It's the super aggressive Yankos versus the more team-oriented Amazing that is looking for engages that set up the rest of his team. It's the Assassins of Ryu versus the more control mages of Power Vival. You can just kind of go down the list and... It's a great battle of philosophies here. I want to talk about something slightly different, though, because this is one of those things where if ever there was going to be a mental effect on a team that pushed them over the edge when it came to you know, how they were treated and, and how they're going to view the playoffs, I want to play a game with you really quick, Walter. Okay. How many... MVP awards do you think members of H2K got in the regular season? Don't look it up. How many do you think they got? I'm not. There were nine weeks. Uh, I don't think they got any. Maybe one. I'll say one because I think Odoamne may have gotten one. They got none. There were zero MVPs on a 14-4 and team. Uh, To put this in perspective, Elements had one in Mr. Rales in week two. And yet H2K had none. How many all pros did H2K have? Oh, all pros. Yes. There were one. They had none. It was Cabochard, Trick, Perk, Steelback, and Causing. Now, how many players on H2K were outside of the top three in KDA at the end of the split? None. They were all top three. They were all top three. And not a single one of them ever got recognized for it. Not a single one of them made All-Pro. Not a single one of them got MVP. Which is absolutely absurd to me. That somehow we have failed to recognize the incredible amount of strength that this team has had going for it. This is a 14-4 and team. If they don't blow the game against Unicorns of Love, they're tied at 15-3. and They're playing G2 for a tiebreaker. Do you think G2 wins Coach of the Year and two All-Pros parts if they're not the number one team? Because I doubt it. It's not that I think Perks and Trick weren't 
amazing they were, but certainly you think Young Buck is going to get that award if Prawley gets the number one spot with H2K in the split? I don't think pro- so. Pro- probably not. Yeah, probably not. And, but I don't think Ryu or Yankos were better than Trick or Perks. I, I would but, say the one you're arguing about is that, you know, Forgiven and Vander should have potentially been all pros. And absolutely. You don't think Forgiven's going to take that personally? Have you seen the way Forgiven looks at opponents? Like, this is I, just one of I those know, things where if H2K isn't motivated to come out and prove something here, then they never will be. This is a collection of veterans that played their heart out for an entire season, where, in all effect, the most consistent team that we saw, you know, with G2, even when they were winning games, there were ups and downs. It was roller coasters of games. When H2K kept their focus and they were methodical, they were just, they felt oppressive at times, just seeing teams try to finagle some sort of attack against them. And the fact that they have been completely dismissed with all of these kinds of awards, with all of the accolades, you know, all the, the hype and everything that we're talking about. I think H2K is going to take that personally. I would take it personally if I was H2K. I'll put it that way. And that's the kind of bulletin board material that takes a team like Origin and makes you say, are they going to be able to stand up and deal with an H2K team that also has nobody believes in us theory going their way. Because that alone is terrifying to me. I don't think Forgiven wants to be outplayed by Sven here. I don't think Yankos wants to be watching the finals at home thinking to himself, if I can only outplay Amazing, I would be in the finals right now. It's just so hard for me to see that matchup where Origin comes away with the victory here in a best of five. I feel like it's easy to dismiss what it would H2K like the players have accomplished because their victories have been so like methodical. Like I, I was hugely critical of Vitality and CLG for thinking that their playstyle was very boring, mm-hmm. uh, especially early on in the season. And and H2K was very similar to that regard of they play very methodical play. They weren't an in-your-face, we're gonna be super super aggressive team like G2. I know we bring up like the San Antonio Spurs comparison a lot and we usually do it from the organizational standpoint of like oh you know it's the fanatic way but the actual spurs play style on offense is very pass the ball pass the ball constantly pass constantly find the opening constantly find the good shot even the warriors play very similar to this now though at a much higher pace they do it a lot quicker they there's a lot more running around as opposed to very methodical pick here down screen here, you know, rotation here, 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 pass here, and then finally they get an open shot with three seconds left on the shot clock for the Spurs. And I think that H2K very much played to that similar play style of, okay, we're going to take a tower here. Okay, we're going to take a tower here. Okay, now we're going to take mid lane. Okay, now that opens up. We control your buffs now. Okay, we control dragon. We're going to rotate. We're, they're very consistent in their play style of, we care about objectives. We are going to play to the objectives. We are going to push the objectives. We are going to make you fight us at objectives. They aren't very keen on the whole, let's just have a team fight because we need a team fight. They will only fight if there is something to be gained outside of a couple of kills. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be very easily dismissed by everyone else because you just sort of get used to, oh, that's just how H2K plays. That's just the H2K way. A lot of analysts in the NBA are very kind of dismissive of the actual Spurs players because of their style of play and the way that they interact with the game and interact with their opponents in a very 
a very dismissive manner of we don't care who you are, we're going to do this and you need to adapt to it or you need to beat it. So the lack of awards are bulletin board material. It is something to get forgiven hot under the collar and want him to just go out and crush everyone. And I think that's what we're going to get to see. I think we're going to get to see a very strong H2K team and a very well-prepared H2K team come out of this into this series and match up very well against Origin. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. I don't mean to dismiss what Origin did last week because a 3-0 against anybody is impressive. And they certainly showed an extra level of play from what we had seen from them previously. But at the same time, it's just not the same as what we're getting here with H2K. They still are a team that picks poor fights from time and time uh, again. There's a reason that game two took 42 minutes, despite the fact that Unicorns of Love picked one of the worst drafts that I have ever seen. That should have been a open and shut game, and it took them forever to close because they made a couple really poor engages. And they allowed Steelback to get really farmed on the Lucian and just take over the game in that way. So I ask you, Walter, all of this said, where do you think the H2K origin line is? I have it at H2K minus 170. Okay, I get this one. I said minus 300 is minus 264. The casinos have no respect for Origin's performance from last week. And to be honest, given everything that I've looked back at from H2K Gaming, I don't blame them. What, do you think it's too high? I think it's way too high. It's the playoffs, dude. It's the playoffs. There's no reason to disrespect a team that made it this far, especially a team that 3-0'd very convincingly another team in the first round. Granted, H2K should be the favorites. I guess if it was maybe H2K minus 200, I'd feel a little more okay with it. But this feels extremely, extremely disrespective. Well, here's the question. Do you like Origin at plus 195? To win? win? I think it's possible. I don't think that Origin winning this series is impossible. I think it's sort of improbable, but I see a world where Origin does win this series. See, that's where you and I just disagree. I don't think, even with what I saw from last week, I don't think that it was a clean enough series. I think they took advantage of a lot of really terrible drafts they're not going to get to take advantage of against H2K and what Prawley's able to do. I think they took advantage of a lot of really sloppy mistakes from Visit Jachi and from Hillisang having a much shallower champion pool than I think most people realized. None of that's going to be to Origin's advantage. I, I am very strongly in the pro H2K camp, but that's okay because it just means that we are going to have some more interesting conversations to have when the smart bet section of this podcast rolls around. But first, Walter, I got to talk to you about one of our proud sponsors, a place that when you look at it, you get a lot of evidence as to why this series may heavily go in H2K's way, and that would be our good friends at eSports fans. When you were going through preparing for this podcast, what's, what was your favorite thing you noticed about eSports fans from this week? Well, I have to say that after the game's finished, probably my favorite thing to look at was going back and looking at the, the post-match threads from all of the playoff games, actually. I thought it was like interesting to see the comparisons in terms of uh, the actual statistics. Like they use bar graphs, so it's 
really easy. You can look at it and you go, oh, well, one person's bar graph is longer than the other person's bar graph. It means this player was better than the other player at this one thing. So I really like the fact that they do that. It's really neat. It makes it a lot easier for me when I am looking at the statistics afterwards and I can go, okay, well, it looks like Zven played better than Steelback. Oh, wait. That's true, but only very slightly. Most of the bar graphs are actually pretty similar in length, so it's really easy for me to just quickly go afterwards and go, oh yeah, you know, everything I thought about the game is correct, or hey, there's, you know, this interesting thing here that I didn't notice. So it's really cool. It's really crisp. It's very clean. It's very pleasing to the eye. I I love using them, man. They're my go-to for statistics. Absolutely. I mean, whether it's the post-match pages that you brought up that have all of this information that is so easy to read and gives you such a good idea of all of the ins and outs of the match outside of just what the eye test told you to the team pages that give you general ideas of what certain teams' strengths and weaknesses are and how those will play off against each other. And then, of course, the player pages where you can see things like their champion pools, how they like to build, what their stats are in these particular things, how it shifts their team's play style in that way. There's a ton of really interesting information to go digest, whether you're a casual fan or a hardcore fan. You should go to eSports Fans. That's fans with a Z or a Z at the end, depending on whether or not you studied in the UK like I did. .com. Check it out. We love those guys and the work that they're doing. And it was also helpful to check them out when I was looking back over the Vitality Fanatic series because no matter how many times I looked at the result, I still couldn't believe that Fnatic is the one that got the three and Vitality is the one that got the one in this series. Walter, what happened to Vitality here? So one of my favorite themes about the entire playoff weekend, the opening weekend quarterfinals, was that teams seemed to win in pick and ban phase. Surprisingly, if you understand how the patch works and you understand what champions are good and the interactions between certain champions, uh, you win games. And surprisingly, Vitality didn't understand what was good on the current patch or didn't understand that you have to ban certain things away to make what you're picking good. I thought that Fnatic was exceedingly well prepared. They were probably the best prepared team out of all eight teams that played that weekend. They mm-hmm. understood the patch. They forced, forced Vitality to have to ban this Graves in game two because they had no answer to it. They had some clever strategies prepared in terms of their warding, in terms of their invading, in terms of their lane swaps. They were the most well-prepared team out of anyone that weekend. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Vitality, conversely, looked like one of the poorest prepared teams. And it reminded me of a text that I sent you after the first game of the regular season. I was very excited because Rock added one with a Tarek pick of all things, back when Edward was the support of this team. And the text I sent you was, are we sure that Sean's is a good coach? Because Sean's was the former coach of Gambit Gaming. They brought him over when they bought the spot. And when I looked at the pick and ban here, It's the same kind of feeling I've had with Vitality every time a new patch comes up. It seems like once they put themselves into the meta and they see what other teams are doing, they're very quick to adapt and take it on and bring that in as part of their identity. And they can have these slow, suffocating games where they just use the best picks and 
slowly but surely strangle you out. But when they're forced to innovate, when they're forced to be proactive in terms of what to prepare for and what compositions they think are going to be powerful, they just didn't seem to understand. I mean, the Azir prioritization in both Game 1 and Game 2 was startling. I don't know how you first pick Azir on blue side when there are so many power picks still up for play. I definitely don't know how you do it the second game after you saw how poorly it went in Game 1. You know, in Game 3, it basically felt like they finally realized, hey, it looks like this Sivir mobility comp is pretty good. Seems like, you know, managing side waves and being able to pick our fights properly is pretty nice. Let's do that in Game 3. And then in Game 4, it was revealed that they didn't actually know how to do it properly because they made some very simple mistakes in that regard. Do you think that this was a macro issue entirely? Or do you think that there were some micro issues in particular players that failed to step up in the series for Vitality? I, I think it was a macro issue, and I think it was fanatic understanding how Vitality wants to play. Granted, the players on Vitality did not play well. Shook in particular was pretty awful. But much like Lolex, Shook is not an early game, early aggressive jungler. He's very much a, I'm going to just try and get control of the map through warding. I'm going to try and get into the enemy jungle and counter ward and, and seal camps and do that. And then once I get into my champion's power position, which is, you know, with Gragas, it's basically level six and having the ultimate. I'm going to make an impact that way. The one game that Shook did go onto this semi-aggressive route where he had a very easy lane to gank in the Maokai, where there was a lot of very strong CC, that was the game Vitality won. They had a very strong understanding of what their win condition was, and it was to get this early game advantage onto the Maokai so that Nautilus couldn't just constantly push the wave in. That's a pretty even matchup, and it got tilted in one direction. It got tilted in Cobbleshard's favor. And then once that happens, Cobbleshard controlled one lane. And basically came to this point of telling Gamsu, you are either going to stay in this lane with me, and we are just going to farm, farm, farm till our heart's content, and we're just going to keep pushing each other in, or you're going to go join your team. And when you make that decision, I'm going to do one of two things. My team has plenty of disengage that they can run away from a 4v5 while I take a tower, or you're going to stay in this lane, and I'm going to teleport in, or I'm going to go join my team, and we have a better engage composition than you guys have a disengage composition. Make your choice. And every time Gamsu made a choice, it was wrong, and Cabochard was able to exploit it because he was unkillable. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was a very strong game from Vitality in Game 3. They really understood their composition. They went out and went after Fnatic in the early game because Fnatic had a really kind of scaling composition with Azir and Jin and Nautilus. You don't really have a lot of early pressure on that with that composition. So they went at him, they took it to him, and then in game four, they picked like the same composition, but Shook didn't have the same impact in the early game that he did in game three. And Fnatic was just able to outscale and was able to use the utility that their composition provided way better than. Vitality was able to. So I think it was mostly macro understanding and not playing to win conditions and not setting up very easy win conditions that, that ultimately was Vitality's downfall. Yeah. And on the other end, it was exactly what Fnatic did so brilliantly here. This was one of those things where when we podcasted last week, we said, why would the Daylor effect come into play now when it hasn't the entire season? And the answer is because he has two weeks and it's a best of five 
and they will find multiple ways to win. They might get caught out once, like they were in Game 3, but they had both the Jin composition and the 1-3-1 split push composition ready to go, ready to deal with whatever was thrown their way, and they did so just so brilliantly. There was never an opportunity in the games that Fnatic won for Vitality to even make it particularly close, and it's the kind of methodical play that we haven't seen from Fnatic so far. Walter, when we look at this game, is this the leap that can put Fnatic over the edge and make them a genuine threat to win this whole thing? Or do you think that there are still some things that they'll need to be able to prove going into this G2 series. The problem with Fnatic is that their players are very inconsistent. You put them on scaling compositions and sometimes they work out. Like in game four, that was pretty well done by Fnatic. And sometimes they don't. And Gamsu gets tilted off the face of the earth by a couple of early ganks. They're just inconsistent. There hasn't been any time in this season where I've gone and looked at like Fnatic and gone from from Thursday to Friday and gone, yep, this is the exact same team. Every single time I watch them play, it's like a different version of them. And it's that they haven't found their identity. They haven't figured out how they want to play. They haven't figured out what their style of play is. And even in this series, we saw some conflicting ideas of what they want to accomplish. Most of it was late scaling with, with Cassidy and with Ezreal, with Jin, and then they have this, you know, one game two where it's like, okay, we're going to play a Sivir rundown composition with Poppy and Lissandra and Kindred and, and Sivir and Alistar, and we're just going to run at you. Like, they need to find some consistency in what they want to do. And it does one of two things it can be good because it makes it hard for the enemy team to adapt to you and to prepare for you. The Cassidy pick came out of absolute left field, most likely. They probably played it in some scrims and found that it was good but in reality it probably came out of left field and vitality were certainly not prepared for it when you see that they banned it in game two they just didn't want to deal with it great fine whatever but it also makes it so you can't get into a zone when you have a team like a vitality where they play one style in a best of five series if they can get game one and two into their groove of, yeah, this is how we want to play, this is what we want to do, this is what we're trying to accomplish, sort of like what Origin did in the other quarterfinal series, it snowballs into this, you have the advantage, you have the momentum, you're going into game three, you know you have three more games to win to get your one victory, you just keep doing what you're doing, you don't need to adapt, and by playing multiple different styles in a best of five, you're sort of chopping up. You have Reckless where he goes from, okay, I'm going to play late scaling Ezreal into, okay, now I'm going to play super lane bully Sivir that I press my ultimate and we run at them, to then playing Jin where it's kind of back to this, well, I'm sort of a late scaling champion, but I can bully in lane. and it's, it, You're getting whiplash, essentially. You're, you're, you're telling your players, okay, you we're going to do this one thing. Okay, now I want you to do the absolute opposite of it. And as professionals, they should be able to do that, but that's not necessarily a good thing to instill into your players of this sort of back and forth. We're going to do one thing. Now we're going to do another. Now we're going to do a third thing. It's just, I don't think it's that intelligent and it's going to catch up to you. See, I'm going to be on the exact opposite end of the spectrum here because I am one of those people that is always telling people that you need multiple ways to win, especially in a best of five. I do believe that one of the strengths that Fnatic has right now is that in game one and game two, they showed two different ways to win that were both incredibly methodical ways to win. In game one, they didn't give up a single death. In game two, 
They didn't give up a single tower. Those are dominant performances. And the fact that they did it with two very different style of compositions, to me, that's a strength. That's an understanding of the depth of the champion pools that you have and an understanding of where the meta is from more than just one angle. It's this complete understanding rather than a one-note philosophy. And I believe that that's really important, especially as they now transition into a G2 series where there is an obvious way that G2 wants to play and Fnatic has to be able to deal with it, whatever it may be. You know, whatever G2's version of a super aggressive comp and a tanky meta ends up being, they're going to have to find a way to deal. And having versatility in your champion pool is huge. My concern when it comes to Fnatic are these Jin comps. And there's a reason that, as a general rule, Korea does not run Jin anymore. Jin has been played once in Korea on 6.6. Siege compositions are now usually played with either Lucian or Callista. And the reason that that happens is because Jin is so easily taken advantage of. And we saw that in Game 3. If you can keep Jin down early, he doesn't really get to the point where he feels useful. The rest of his team is supposed to be doing the damage, and he follows up with the final shots with his ultimate, with those big lasting crits, but you need the rest of your team to set you up for those plays. And when that doesn't happen, you get what happened to Fnatic in Game 3. And we've now seen teams are fully prepared for Fnatic to pull out the Jin comp. Ever since I am Katowice, they're not catching anyone off guard with the Jin comp. And even though they won Game 4, it was the sloppiest of the wins that they had. And I'd like to see them move away from it. I'd like to see them going towards something that doesn't have such an obvious weak point, especially against a G2 team that seems perfectly designed to take advantage of that weak point because of the incredible amount of pressure they're able to put on the early game. And let's talk about G2 for a second. I mean, this is a team that won the league, went from being a challenger team in the summer to now being the best team in Europe in the regular season. And sure, there were some... Korean imports along the way, but it was Perks and Hybrid that really stepped up and showed that even their rookies were able to make a big difference on this big stage. How do you think G2 is going to perform given the meta changes that we've seen and what we saw from Fnatic in the last week? So G2 is the perfect encapsulment, the perfect embodiment of what I'm talking about when I say I hate this sort of whiplash thing. I do agree. You need to be able to play multiple styles, but when you have a style that works, you need to stick with it until someone counters what you're able to, you know, what you're doing. And then you either make adjustment to that composition, or you do something entirely different. G2 found out very early on what their bread and butter was. And it's this hyper aggression in the early game it's getting trick out there it's making sure that he impacts the lanes it's either getting kick us a lead it's getting perks a lead he doesn't really touch bottom lane he really focuses a lot of his effort on the solo lane and going and trying to find the enemy jungler which is awesome i love watching that the one downside this does give is it makes you very one-sided it makes it very easy to stare at you and go okay this is what they want to accomplish the teams that beat them when they beat them what did they do okay they warded this bush they warded this bush they rotated through these spots instead okay g2 always does this rotation 
Hybrid always goes at five minutes toward this one bush with trick. Okay, now what can we do to that? It does make you very easy to anticipate what you're going to accomplish, but at the same time, they're so practiced in this style, they probably know where their weaknesses are. They know what they need to shore up, and you get into these mind games of, okay, yeah, Hybrid goes at five minutes to always ward this one brush. We can see that, and he always goes with trick. Well, we're going to expect you to anticipate this, so now we're going to push up with our mid laner and our bottom lane, and they're both just going to disappear off the map. And now you have to consider, okay, well, if we go to stop Hybrid from warding this one bush, is it just going to be him? Is it going to be him and Trick? Or is there going to be four people waiting for us to engage on them? So it creates all these little nuances in terms of gameplay. Perks has been outstanding. I thought that he he deserved probably MVP over Trick, but they couldn't give Trick the Rookie of the Year award, so that was they kind of had like co-MVP awards in that regard. He's fantastic. He's shown an ability to play pretty much any style of champion to a certain effectiveness, and he's been his most effective when he's on the Assassins, which I think, again, matches up very well into what Febevin does. Febevin, he does play Assassins, but Fnatic are really at their most effective and their most efficient when he's playing Control Mages, when he's playing these utility sort of mid laners. The the casting game notwithstanding, he played Lissandra in two games, and he played Azir in, in the game that they ended up losing. So while Lissandra does have some assassin qualities, you very easily can counter her ultimate. You just buy a QSS on your carries. It is interesting to see exactly how G2 is going to have to deal with their somewhat predictable strategy here. It does seem like Fnatic has the capability of coming up with a strategy against it. They were one of three teams to take a game off of G2 in the regular season, and it wasn't a fluky victory by any means. It was Fnatic really taking a step forward and and directly countering what it is that G2 was hoping to accomplish. And certainly, you've got to be looking at Kikis right now and wondering if the meta has shifted away from where he would be comfortable but on the other hand, the idea of G2 getting a 1-3-1 composition with Sivir is absolutely terrifying to me. Sivir Braum, I mean, Hybrid's Braum has been out of this world. Perks can play pretty much anything that you need. Putting him on a split pusher just increases the deadliness that he brings to this team. Trick is always looking to make proactive plays in the early game, and given this is on 6.6 and not the newly released 6.7 with these adjusted death timers, that early lead creates a big snowball effect. And for me, it's a matter of execution. Can G2 execute what they want to do better than Fnatic can come up with a attempt to deal with it? And this is where the bye week does come in handy. Yes, Fnatic could make it into the semifinals despite not having shown much attention at all to the last week of the regular season. But are they going to be able to get away with it with G2 when they just showed three different style of compositions that they want to play? And G2 has had a whole week to analyze that film, find the little flaws in it, and try to take advantage of it? I don't know. It worries me for Fnatic in that regard. but. Regardless, I think this is going to be a very fun and very close series. It's going to be certainly a battle of almost wit versus brawn in just how these teams are going to try to play against each other. Fnatic going for the outthinking, while G2 just hopes to overpower them with their strong rotation and vision play. Walter, all of this said, where do you think the line is? 
Well, I'm going to be highly disappointed because that means I'm gonna, I'm probably going to lose this week because I was so far off at H2K. Uh, I have G2 at minus 185. Okay, you get this one. No need to despair, good sir. <laughs> okay. I said minus 200. It is minus 172, which I think is incredibly reasonable. Well, okay, hold on. How is this reasonable but the H2K line – what? <laughs> I don't think – here, here's the thing to me. I don't think Origins wins were as impressive as you do. I think they played a very sloppy team that threw away two games in the early game and in game three was already kind of broken by that point. Other than Steelback and Fox, I don't think anyone on Unicorn showed up. I don't think Soaz was tested. I think his champion pool, he was allowed to play Poppy twice and the game in which he didn't, he didn't look very good. I thought Amazing wasn't particularly tested in terms of what he's capable of bringing right now. Right. I, so, I, I agree with that. And, and I don't think Sven's going to be able to bowl over Forgiven. So for me, there are a lot of advantages that point to H2K's way. Whereas here, my future self came back and explained to me either that G2 had just completely overpowered Fnatic and it was a roaring victory because they were just executing so on point, or a future version of me came back and said, Fnatic just one pick and ban phase. They had these creative new ways of twisting these compositions in a way that G2 wasn't able to handle. I believe both of those scenarios. I personally, I don't see how Origin wins. That's the difference between you and me. Oh, I can clearly kind of see how Origin wins that. That amazing and so as continue their run of what, what they're able to accomplish against Unicorns of Love. Granted, Unicorns of Love top lane Chachi kind of fell apart, but I don't think Oduwamne is is good. He's great. He's a great top laner, but I think his ceiling is lower than Soaz. I think Soaz can actually carry from the top lane. Oduwamne, we just constantly see him thrown on tanks. And yeah, the couple of weeks that Ryu was gone, he did do an adequate job of being that secondary, even primary carry to pair with Forgiven. But over the entire course of career, he has just been, I'm going to be a rock. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to get my farm. I'm going to make sure that I'm supporting my teammates. I'm going to disrupt team fights. That is it. We don't really see him play like, we never saw him play like a great Fiora or a great Quinn or anything like that. He is literally, I am a tank player. And I think that you can exploit that somewhat if Soaz can get ahead on a Poppy. I think that's very easily exploitable. But that's where the meta is. Like you just said, like, oh, he's really good on tanks. You know, the things that are being played all the time. He doesn't play a Quinn or a Fiora. You know, those things that were just nerfed on this patch. But there are counters to those tanks. I don't see him playing tank Echo. I don't see him playing like top lane Echo, which is a great... We're seeing across the globe and in solo queue is a great counter to playing just a straightforward tank. He's going to play the Nautiluses. He's going to play Poppy. He's going to play Maokai. He's not going to play Echo. I can see Soaz playing Echo. I don't see Oduwamne playing Echo. Well, I want to see Soaz playing Echo before I'm, I'm willing to be as confident on this as you are. But, you know, maybe I will get to see it. And maybe I'll even have the nerve to put it in a highlight video that you can just highlight reasons Chase was wrong if Origin does manage to get the upset. And all of the Origin fans that I'm sure are very mad at me right now for saying as strongly as I am that I think H2K is going to win this. And just shower that back at me. But the good news is, any of those angry fans, it's going to be very easy to make me look like an idiot. All you need to do is go to vibby.com 
Put in the timestamps for the VOD, whether it be Twitch, YouTube, even Vimeo nowadays, and use their really user-friendly interface. And you too can make a highlight video of any of the games that we're going to see this weekend. And it's a great way to interact with the communities at play while also being able to make fun videos that your friends can enjoy. I feel like, Walter, one of us should have to make a Vibby of the game that seals it in this series so we can just say, you know, whoever loses, it's like, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Here's all the evidence as to why I was wrong in this nice little Vibby tape that is so easy and simple to make. I think this would be fun. I'm pretty sure it'll just be highlights of forgiven styling on people. Yeah, I'm okay with that highlight video as well. I'm never against a forgiven highlight video. But if you like any of these ideas, you should definitely go to Vibby.com and start making your highlight videos today. So, Walter, I got to say, from all of this conversation we've been having, it seems like you and I want different smart money bets this week. Oh, maybe. We'll see. I, I wouldn't say I'm outright gambling on any of the underdogs here. I wouldn't say I would say bet on Origin over H2K. Well, here's what I'm thinking. Because you and I have very different feelings about that H2K Origin series. Right now, the line for Origin plus one and a half, i.e. that Origin at least loses 3-2 or wins the series, and H2K's minus one and a half handicap, i.e. them winning 3-1 or better, are the exact same odds. I want to take H2K minus one and a half because I think that this is a, a 3-1 or a 3-0 waiting to happen. I'm assuming you'd like the plus one and a half for origin here. At minus 114. I don't think origin wins more than one game, though. <laughs> okay, so do you want I to join me on close, the- but I think H2K wins. Yeah, I think H2K wins it, probably wins it 3-1. That's what I would say. Okay, so you want to come at me with the one and a half handicap? On H2K yeah. minus 114? Yeah, I, that, that, that I think is pretty fair. Do we want to hedge with a map one winner for Origin at plus 140? Uh, no, I don't think Origin wins map one. I think that's very reasonable. I, I definitely think H2K is going to win. It, it's going to be like a game three where Origin wins. It'll be like they postponed their defeat by one game. I don't see them winning game one. I think Prolly is too good of a coach for that to happen. What about Fnatic winning map one at plus 110? That I could see. I feel like that, that's... I, that I could very easily see. I could see Delier having some spicy cheese for this game one. Yeah, I definitely... It's one of those things where when you look at how Fnatic likes to play, they do have strategies that they want to bring up and catch people off guard with. And that was, by the way, the only smart money bet we won last week. We went one and two last week. Because we had Unicorns of Love and Origin over four and a half games. That didn't happen. We had Vitality with the minus one and a half handicap. That certainly didn't happen. And then we had Fnatic to win game one. So at least that hedge came through. We ended up losing money overall on the week. But we are still at, if you bet $100 on every smart money bet we made, $1,452 in the black. Money, money, money. So I still consider us the take your free money on unicorn.com today, or at the very least, get those tokens and start winning some of those awesome auctions that they have for things like the headsets that we're using right now. But we need one more smart money bet, Walter. we got to keep giving the people what they want. What about Gamers 2 
I mean, I don't, you know, this is one of those where I just think the odds might be interesting enough. What about Gamers 2 minus one and a half over Fnatic at plus 125? Gamers 2 plus one and a half. I think that is probably safe. I think that's probably a good one, actually. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a four-game series, too. I don't think it goes five. Yeah, I think that's incredibly fair. And, and what that does is that if Fnatic somehow wins, then they probably won map one as well. So we have a nice hedge there. So just to wrap it up, we have H2K minus 114 with the one and a half handicap over Origin. We have Fnatic plus 110 to win map one against G2. And we have G2 plus 125 with the minus one and a half handicap as well. And this podcast, we have over an hour on the length. It's been a while since we've done one of these, but hopefully you enjoyed it from start to finish. It was a lot of fun to make, and it was I think it's going to lead up to a lot of very fun games this weekend. If you enjoyed this podcast, you should go to soundcloud.com slash esportsroughdrafts and subscribe there, or you could subscribe on iTunes. If you search Rough Drafts on the podcast section there, go ahead and leave us a review, some five-star ratings, you know, just couple words on why you love the show it really does help us out and we love hearing what you guys have to say your feedback means the world to us you should definitely go to unicorn.com slash community to keep up with all of our posts there i always do little write-ups with all these podcasts with some general themes for the tournament that i think you guys will really like and of course you should follow us on social media so that you are always aware of the many many different things that Walter and I are doing on a regular basis. You can find me at Redshirt King. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL and at slingshotesports.com. Perfect. Well, that'll be it for us. Come back tomorrow when we'll be talking about the North American semifinals. We'll be doing this all over again. Equally interesting games to talk about. Plenty of fun storylines. Some happy Walter moments after a TSM victory. Though we'll have to continue with the Weldon storyline for a while longer. So oh, really no. a mixed just, bag more than anything hype. else. But just killed my buzz. Until then, goodbye, Internet. <laughs>